This sermon, The Lord is My Shepherd, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, July 2nd, 2023 at Sovereign Grace Church. Privilege of being one of the pastors here. Welcome. Glad you're here. Hope you have a great July 4th week. Let's be praying for those who aren't with us. Uh, I know a number of people who are out of town for July 4th, so... Uh, would not that we could be with them, right? (laughs) Uh, But what a better place to be than the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning. Open your Bibles to Psalm 23. We continue our sermons in the Psalms this summer, and today we look at Psalm 23. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Please stand with me. Let's read it together. Six verses. Psalm 23. David is writing this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Maybe seated, let's pray together. Lord, we come to a familiar passage this morning, Psalm 23. <laughs> Who hasn't heard of Psalm 23? Whether it is at a funeral, a hospital visit, or a Hallmark card in some form. Lord, this is familiar ground for many people and for most Christians. And Lord, knowing that, it's easy. It's easy to treat it casually in a cavalier way. Lord, we could treat it like a two-foot putt, not taking it seriously. Lord, because it's familiar, we can come to it with all that we already know about it and miss what you want to communicate to us this time. Lord, because it's familiar, we can come with our own presuppositions and miss your purposes for us in it 
this time. And so, Lord, I pray for those here that are sleepy this morning, wake them. Lord, for those who are familiar with this psalm, Lord, in a sense, cause them to forget all that they've known about it so that they might hear clearly from you. But Lord, wherever each person is at this morning, use this this poem, this song, to draw us back to you, to draw us closer to you, to give us confidence and joy and peace in a world where life is hard. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Scripture is filled with pictures that help us understand God in a deeper way and apply that which we know to be true about God to our own lives in ordinary, everyday life. We call them metaphors. They are a gift from the Lord, aren't they? And one of the Bible's most common and powerful metaphors is the imagery of God as a shepherd. It's what we have before us in Psalm 23. God as a shepherd. In the, in the words of Timothy Laniac, who uh, was a, he was a pastor, he was in academia, he, he dedicated an entire year to go to the Middle East and study real-life shepherds. Yeah, guys that look, did and looked the same that they did in antiquity. And he spent a full year with them, and, and he came back and he said, to truly understand God, the metaphorical phrase, God is my shepherd, and listen to what he says, is necessary, not just nice. Indeed it is. We need to understand God our Father as shepherd. It is what he has put forth to us in his word as one of the most common ways to understand what he is like, his purposes for us, and how he loves us as his sheep. And and here's why I agree with Mr. Laniac. Here's why it is necessary. Because I believe we tend to move back and forth between two different spectrums in life. One is discouragement, right? Life doesn't go well and we get discouraged. But the other one is boastfulness. Life is going well and it's because of me. I am doing great. I was, last night, Don and I spent the evening at our uh, two oldest grandsons' basketball games. They had a doubleheader. And in that first game, they, they came out. Now, they, mind you, these are 9- and 10-year-olds. Uh, they came out, though, and they tore their opponent apart. I think it was 22 to 6 or something like that. Yes, when you're 9 and 10, 22 points is pretty good in <laughs> four quarters. Trust me, there were a lot of traveling calls. But boy, when that game was over, they were making their way across the court to mom and dad and Papa and Nana, and they were skipping a step. They, they were feeling good. Papa, did you see that shot I made? They were feeling good. But, of course, they immediately had another game, and this team was fresh, and this team was better. <laughs> and they got beat 
something like 27 to 15. And they, they, you know, when that game was over, they came across the court a little slower. <laughs> they came across the court not with a smile. They, they weren't boasting about how well they did. They were discouraged. They didn't even want to talk about the game. Well, it can be like that for us in the Christian life as well. When things don't go well, when life is not going as we expected, we can become hopeless in our thinking, helpless. We can go back to Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Or when we think we have life by the tail because things are going good, well, we, we fit in that category that the Apostle James and James 4 said, uh-uh-uh, no boasting. Don't say to yourself, I'll go do this and I'll go do that. Here's the problem. Both of those, both sides of the spectrum, they rob us of the joy and peace meant to be ours as we live in the good and the power of Christ in a God-exalting way. And here's where Psalm 23 comes in. In just six verses, only 118 words, David's song, as the psalm says itself, sets us, puts us on the right path, brings us in from both spectrums to the right path by proclaiming God's intimate knowledge of us and his unfailing love for us and his faithfulness, his faithfulness to see us to the end. Here's my prayer as we go through this. My prayer for us this morning is that the effect on us will be David's own words in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We're going to unpack that. What does that mean? How do we get there? My prayer is that David's words, David's disposition, David's proclamation, David's praises will be ours as well. You know, Psalm 23 begins with a stunning statement. Look at verse 1 with me. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Someone said our familiarity with these words may rob us of their audacity. It is one thing to speak of God as rock, king, creator, holy one, shelter, but shepherd? No image is so touching as the image of shepherd. As shepherd, the Lord must identify with his flock. As shepherd, the Lord must always be near his flock. As shepherd, the Lord must fight for his flock. As shepherd, the Lord must be willing to die for his flock. This image David uses of God is among the loveliest in the Bible to describe the tender and compassionate care that God gives to his people. The Lord, David writes, is my shepherd. In other words, David's shepherd is no ordinary shepherd. The Lord, you, you know this, you know how to read your Bibles, but did you notice the Lord there is in all caps? 
It means that's the personal name, the holy name of God for Israel. The name Yahweh that that God revealed to Moses in Exodus 3. Yahweh, the great I am. David's shepherd is the one who has always existed. His shepherd is the one who brought all things into existence and keeps all things existing. David says here in verse 1, his shepherd is the one that Isaiah 40 describes as measuring the waters that cover the earth in the hollow of his hand. And the one who consults no one because he knows everything. David's shepherd is the one that Job 38 describes as commanding the elements of the weather and telling the seas you can only come this far into the land. David's shepherd is the one, Psalm 8, as we saw a few weeks ago, declares has set the stars into place, all 200 billion trillion of them. David's shepherd is the one that Proverbs 16 says is sovereign, even over the simple casting of a lot. Translation in modern day, the flip of a coin. This is David's shepherd. This is the one Psalm 23 has at its center. And there, this is no ordinary shepherd. And he's David's shepherd. Did you notice what David says there? The Lord is my shepherd. He does not say the Lord is a shepherd. He does not say the Lord is the shepherd. Did you notice he doesn't even say the Lord is our shepherd or Israel's shepherd? He says the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. He is mindful of Me. He cares for me. And then notice what he says. Based on the identity of his shepherd, at the end of verse 1, he says, I shall not want. The Lord, Yahweh, the eternal one, the all-powerful one, is my shepherd cares for me, who feeds me, who is always aware of where I am and what I am doing. He's my shepherd. Conclusion without qualifiers. I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I need nothing. I I have all I need. My, My shepherd, given who he is, my shepherd cares for me. He protects me. He provides for me perfectly. And by the way, it's not that David lacks ambition. He's a king. (laughs) It's not that he he is uh, passive. It's not that he lacks desire for anything. David is not apathetic toward life. 
He simply knows who his shepherd is. He knows the faithfulness of his shepherd. He knows the limitlessness of his shepherd. He knows all the resources that are at his shepherd's disposal. And his conclusion is, I shall not want. I shall not want. And we just pause right there for a moment. If you are a Christian this morning, you are right where your shepherd wants you, and you have all your shepherd desires for you in this moment. He does not hold back every moment. You are where he wants you, according to his perfect providence, established before the foundations of the world. And there is never a second where you do not have what he does, has not ordained for you in that moment. You shall not want. Not because you have all you desire, but because the Lord is your shepherd. Now he begins to unpack that. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You know, for a sheep... It's, they're kind of like babies, I guess. <laughs> uh, resting and eating and drinking, that, that's what you do. That is everyday, ordinary life for a sheep. They eat, they drink, and they lie down. And this is what a good shepherd does every day. He ensures that his sheep are refreshed, that they have enough to eat, that they, that they get rest. He, a good shepherd ensures his sheep are refreshed by providing green pastures to feed on and, and fresh water, still water to drink. Sheep actually are spooked by moving water, running water, spook sheep. that They need still waters or else they will not drink. David understands the shepherd life. Remember, before he was a king, he was a shepherd himself. But I think what I want us to see here is the point that, that when we see verse 2, this is just ordinary life. Green pastures and still waters is everyday ordinary life for the sheep. There's nothing spectacular here. It's just everyday needs. David says, my shepherd takes care of me. He knows what I need, and he generously and abundantly provides it. I shall not want. Del Ralph Davis says, in speaking about verse 2, it is precisely in the commonplace and familiar scenes of life where we see our Savior's constant provision. We love him because he not just does, because he does not just meet us in the critical times, 
but in the common times. We know he will be work for us on Tuesday and the day after that and the day after that, though there may be nothing dramatic about those days. Green pastures. God provides green pastures. There is a peace that he brings through still waters, meeting our everyday needs. Nothing spectacular here. Just a good shepherd who knows what his sheep need and provides it. And you know what that means? That means that you and I as Christians should be the most grateful people on this planet. Your greatest need has been met by the good shepherd, Jesus Christ himself. When he died on a cross, bearing the burden and absorb of your sin and bearing the absorbing the punishment for your sin. And with three words, he said, it is finished. And by faith, your sins exist no more in the courtrooms of God. He does not hold them against you, as Psalm 103 says. They are as far as the east is from the west. He does not treat you according to your iniquities. As we'll see, instead, he, he pours out goodness and mercy all your days. And by the way, he provides for your most basic needs. As Christians, listen, as Christians, if we would just pause and take a break from building our own personal kingdoms that disappoint us, that bring discouragement and even in the highest of times, can never ultimately fulfill us, if we would just pause and look up to see who our good shepherd is and what he has accomplished for us, we would and we should have the monopoly on gratitude. Remember that when you go eat lunch today. How does your gratitude for your good shepherd how is it reflected even in something as ordinary as eating lunch? Even in something as ordinary as paying a bill tomorrow morning? Even in something as ordinary and yet so wonderful? Celebrating July 4th on Tuesday. I shall not want my shepherd. He's God himself. He gives me all that I need. Notice verse 3 says, He restores my soul. So He leads me, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. By the way, notice all the He's. <laughs> Each line here begins with He. <laughs> this is his doing. The spotlight is not on me, it's on he, it's on God. If, if, if there's ever 
a good time to really get into the pronouns. Well, now is a good time to get into the pronouns. There's not a lot of good talk right now about pronouns out there. Don't buy into pronouns. And if you're into pronouns, don't get offended with me. Come and see me after the service so I can have a moment with you and have a conversation with you. But right now, we are into pronouns because David is into pronouns. Four he's. He, 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 he. And here we see he restores my soul. David is moving from refreshment to the deepest and most serious need in life, restoration. A man may have everything he needs in this world, but if his soul has not been restored to the Lord, he has nothing. Listen, David was a man who intensely understood his need for restoration. The words in Psalm 42, 11, why are you downcast, O my soul, and why, you, why are you in turmoil within me? Those below's words belong to David. He understood that his soul needed to be restored and refreshed to and by, by and to the Lord. The truth is, like David, we're prone to wander. Sheep are wanderers. And when they wander, one of the greatest dangers for a sheep is to become cast. You ever heard of that term? Cast is, a cast sheep is a, is a sheep that has bedded down to rest but has rolled over onto their back and, and gotten stuck. That they can't get up. And so what happens is the, the sheep panics. You can see the imagery, right? Bucking and kicking and, and legs flailing. The sheep, it panics and it frantically kicks and lashes its body back and forth to no avail. It's a sheep's version of I've fallen and I can't get up. That's what cast is. Here's the problem. When a sheep is on its back, gases build up in its stomach. The belly expands, and the blood circulation begins to get cut off. And if the shepherd doesn't find the cast sheep, it could be dead in a matter of hours. A matter of hours. Listen to how one shepherd shares how he restores his cast sheep. As soon as I reached the cast you, my first impulse was to pick it up. Tenderly, I would roll the sheep over on its side. This would relieve the pressure of gases in the rumen. If she had been down for long, I would have to lift her onto her feet. And then straddling the sheep with my legs, I would hold her erect rubbing her limbs to restore the circulation to her legs. This often took quite a little time. And when the sheep started to walk again, she often just stumbled, staggered, and collapsed in a heap once more. All the time I worked on the cast sheep, I would talk to it gently. When are you going to learn to stand on your own feet? I'm so glad I found you in time, you little rascal. Little by little, the sheep would regain, would regain its equilibrium. It would start to walk steadily and surely. By and by, it would dash away to rejoin the others, set free from its fears and frustrations, and given another chance to live a little longer. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He restores my soul. Just like a shepherd restores a cast sheep, sets it back upright. So the Lord restores our souls. Listen, when you falter in your faith, and we do, don't we? We, we falter in our faith. We are prone to wander, as the song says. And when we wander from God, it's easy to get cast. It's easy to get stuck. It's easy to find ourselves in a situation where it seems like there's no way out. We need God. And listen, it doesn't have to be serious sin. You don't have to murder somebody to be cast. You don't have to commit adultery to be a wanderer. We wander from God when we lust with our eyes. We wander from God when we click the sexually provocative photo or headline on the internet. We wander when we've had one too many drinks. We wander when we covet our neighbor's possession. We wander when we compromise biblical conviction for personal gain, for acceptance, for position. We wander when we eat to numb the pain. We wander when we forsake the gathering on Sunday mornings. We wander when we neglect God's word. We wander. In a sense, we become cast when we lash out in anger at others. In these moments, we are spiritually Maybe you're there right now. Here's the good news. Your shepherd does not look down on you, on your back, spiritually speaking, and say, are you kidding me, Derek? Again? You're a stupid sheep, aren't you? You, you made this bed. You're going to have to figure out well, that's not the way the saying goes. <laughs> you, made, you made this bed, now you lie in it. That's not what our shepherd does. That's not how our shepherd is. Instead, with an infinite patience and a divine tenderness, God, your shepherd, restores you back to himself. He puts you back onto his paths of righteousness as, as verse 3 says, where you are safe and secure. He, spiritually speaking, strengthens your legs so that you can walk and join the fold that you've wandered away from. 
And notice the end of verse 3. Notice what all this is about. He says, for his name's sake. Translation, all the green pastures, all the still waters, all the restoration, all the putting you back on righteous paths is for his glory so that he will be magnified in your life. Not only so that you will enjoy the goodness that comes when we walk in righteousness by faith and, and with a holy resolve that because, of, because this is what God desires, it must be desirable and good for me. Oh, we experience the joy in that. We experience the peace in that. But ultimately, it is for his name's sake. Listen, this shepherd in Psalm 23 has a reputation to uphold. <laughs> I read that somewhere this week. That's not mine. I forget who it was. But I thought that was good. This shepherd, the shepherd has a reputation. We see it from the beginning of the pages of Scripture to the end in heaven where it will be his reputation that we will be declaring. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. It was his reputation that Moses had to go through all the hoops that he went through with Pharaoh. In his own words, he wanted those there to see his glory in a way they might not have seen his glory. What's well, no different in the green pastures? It's ultimately not about us. It's about God's glory. Now listen, sometimes the glory of our shepherd is revealed through our suffering. It's not always blue skies. We saw that last week. We see that this week. Look at verse 4. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Boy, there's a hard turn here, isn't there? From, three, from two, 2 and 3 to 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The, the, the valley of the shadow of death. Really, you, you, you could literally interpret that the valley of darkness, if you will. It represents difficulties, hardships, those things we talked about last week in life, and at times, yes, even death itself. I know Psalm 23, people love to preach it at funerals, and, and nothing wrong with that. I think I've done that. But before Psalm 23 is for a funeral, it's for you today. It speaks to the difficult things that you're walking through today. You don't have to wait to die for Psalm 23 to be relevant. The dark valley, the deep darkness here in verse 4, it's, it represents the hardships that leave you feeling hopeless and helpless and perhaps at moments like David, lifeless. They move you to cry, my God, my God, why, 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 why? 
Have you forsaken me? See, sometimes the paths of righteousness are not so pleasant. And, and, and can I just say, if you are in a dark valley today, it's not, you're not there. Do not automatically assume you're there because you're cast or because you're wandering. Don't make that direct correlation immediately. Oh, you might be. The Lord might be disciplining you. Hebrews talks about that, right? Hebrews 12. But it's not an automatic. What is automatic is that our dark valleys, the highest purpose for them is to draw us closer to the shepherd. It's to draw us closer to the Lord. I want you to notice something in the text. Notice how David changes from he and his five times in verses 2 and 3. But in verse 4, he changes to you and your. Did you notice that? In the first three verses, David is talking to you and me about his shepherd. But in the dark valley, he turns. He turns away from you and I, and he looks up. And he begins to speak directly to his shepherd. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. You see, there's something. There's something about the valley of death, about the valley of darkness, about the difficulties of life that bring us into an intimacy with God that the green pastures don't. I think that's one of the reasons why Paul says that the Bible teaches us that in our suffering we become more like Christ. He walked through the deep valleys before you did. And when you're in your deep valley, he is the shepherd who knows and hears and understands. And that's important because you notice what David says. He says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, what? What's his conclusion? I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You are with me. My shepherd is with me. He knows where I am. He doesn't just know where I am. He's not only mindful of me, he cares for me. Think about your own children, or maybe when you were a child, or maybe even when you're, you're a big person. I know for my kids and my grandkids, to have them go into a dark room on their own, uh-uh, wasn't going to happen. But you know what would happen? is if I was holding their hand, or if I was holding them, suddenly the dark room wasn't so scary. Why? Because it's not the darkness that we tend to be afraid of. It's being in the darkness alone that scares us. It's not the cancer that we're afraid of. It's thinking that, that nobody knows and nobody cares and nobody can do anything about it. But when we know, when we understand whatever ails us, whatever hardship we're in, that God is there orchestrating. Notice, more than just orchestrating, notice what he says in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, 
I will fear, for you are with me. God doesn't just lead us into dark valleys. He is with us in the dark valleys. He is leading us not only into, but out of and through everything in between the dark valleys. As a Christian, you are never alone. And you know, because you know who your shepherd is, that he is not wanting in what he needs to see you through the dark valley. Notice that David, at the end of verse 4, he talks about a rod and a staff. They comfort him in the valley. Ancient shepherds, they, they had a rod that was used like a club. It was used to beat off predators. It was used to beat off wild animals. The shepherd would use that rod to protect his sheep from dangers. He also had a staff, and it tended to have a crook on the end. You've seen it in all the pictures. What is up with the, the hook? Well, if that sheep gets too close to a cliff or gets somewhere where the shepherd can't quite reach him, that staff reaches out, gently grabs him by the neck or the legs and pulls that little sheep out of danger. A staff to rescue the sheep. A rod to fight off and defend and protect the sheep. Here in Psalm 23, they represent your shepherd's limitless and sufficient resources to protect and care for you in your dark valleys. And listen, you want to think Psalm 23 makes clear? <laughs> Psalm 23 makes it clear here. David makes it very clear. No sheep that belong to this shepherd will ever be lost. He might not say that explicitly, but it is certainly implicit, especially from what we know about who our shepherd is. This shepherd has never lost a sheep if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, you are never alone. You are always being cared for, and you will never be lost. Oh, you may be disciplined for your wandering, which a shepherd does. A shepherd will put a wandering sheep in another pen, in another pasture, because a wandering sheep tends to have an effect on the other sheep to follow. But, but he will never lose you. I love what John Calvin says. He says, faith does not promise us length of days, riches, and honors, but is contented with the assurance that however poor we may be in regard to present comforts, God will never fail us. He is the good shepherd. This shepherd has never lost a sheep and he will not lose you. Now listen, in verse 5, there's this sudden shift from a shepherd and his sheep to a host and his guest. Some might argue that the imagery is still a shepherd and a sheep. I, I, I don't think that, I certainly don't interpret it that way. Uh, but David takes us now 
uh, from the green pastures to a celebration where food and drink abound. And you'll notice in verse 5, amazingly, at this feast, at this banquet, uh, we are not alone as his people. Our enemies are actually present. And I think the point here is that they're, they can do nothing. They can do nothing but watch us enjoy the goodness of the Lord as we feast. I, th- I think it's just another way to communicate the same powerful message that the first four voices or the first four verses have already communicated. It's not only a picture of generous provision, but of complete protection. I feast in the midst of my enemies, and they can do nothing but watch. It's a picture of, uh, 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 of assurance, a deep and an abiding assurance and joy and peace amid the threats even of verse 4. So, David concludes in verse 6 this way. Notice verse 6. Surely, by the way, that word surely can be translated only. Only. Goodness and mercy shall follow. That word can be translated pursue. I think it's actually a better translation here. Pursue. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Get your hands around that for a moment. The same man who wrote Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He now writes my shepherd. It's no coincidence, by the way, The Psalm 23 follows Psalm 22. We are unpacking what David said about his Lord in Psalm 22. But he, he writes, my shepherd has pursued me only with goodness and mercy. What? David, your life was filled with dark valleys. Your life was filled with hardships. And you have confessed yourself those, the times those valleys left you feeling as though God had abandoned you. Here's what David knows. Here's what David knows. And here's what we need to know. There's a difference between what we feel and what is real. (laughs) And David knew that. David also knew that those dark valleys, like we said earlier, they brought him closer to his shepherd. Where he experiences goodness and mercy. And so it is with us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, don't want you to be naive. Don't want you to misunderstand. All those things that happened to us, man, there were moments we, we felt the death sentence of life. There were, there were moments we felt we'd be better off dead. But you know what he immediately says? He doesn't stay there. He immediately says, but guess what, guys? Those things that happened to us, they happened so that we would rely on ourselves less and God more. Translation, so that we would draw near to our shepherd and be restored and experience green pastures, even in the heat of a 120-degree summer day. I think Romans 8 says it like this, 
God works all things for the good of those who love him. If God is for us, who could be against us? There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all my days, even in the darkest of valleys, from the greenest of pastures to the darkest of valleys. I know nothing but God's goodness and mercy. Listen, whatever's happening in your life today, it's happening because God is pursuing you. He knows what you need. He knows if you need to feel the dryness and the futility of your sinful desires. But in Christ, his goodness and mercy is yours. Your situation is meant to bring you closer to him, a greater a, a, a closer intimacy, a greater likeness, a deeper trust, a more abiding joy to him. That's the purpose of the dark valleys. Because when we experience those things in him, we are satisfied. And in the words of John Piper, it's when we are most satisfied in him that he is most glorified through us. So listen, there's only one way that this is possible. And when we get to verse 6, we have to ask ourselves, okay, how has God expressed his goodness and mercy to me? How has God pursued me with his goodness and his mercy. His son, Jesus. His son, Jesus. Not the degree in which your career is skyrocketing. Not all your children are saved and thriving in the Lord. Not that you have your dream house. Jesus. You know the passage. It's John 10. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus, in essence, said, I am Psalm 23. I have fulfilled. I will fulfill. I am fulfilling Psalm 23. When he said, I am the good shepherd. My father gives me my sheep and I do not lose a single one. None of my sheep are snatched from my hands. None of my sheep will perish. I am the good shepherd. Goodness and mercy belong to you. Because it was withdrawn from the good shepherd on the cross. Where Jesus gave his life for you. In John 10, he says that. A shepherd, a, a shepherd gives his life away for his sheep. And they do. They exist. They exist to protect the sheep. 
and they will lay their life down for the sheep. And on the cross, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, he laid his life down for you so that you by faith could come to him and with contriteness in your heart say, Shepherd Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Pour out your goodness and your mercy that we call forgiveness and your righteousness that I might stand before the throne of God above and be seen, be pardoned, be seen as pure and bright and clean only in you. And that cross, well, that cross took the place of a club and a hook. You see, you find yourself in the dark valley. You draw your attention to a cross. And you tell yourself, the good shepherd is with me. I don't have to fear. Because he faced the greatest fear I have. Judgment from God for my sins. And he took it all. Now my cup overflows, verse 5, with goodness and mercy because his cup overflowed with divine wrath that was designed, that was deserving of me. But my good shepherd, oh, my good shepherd, he is the Lord. Have the worship team come up. Listen, do you know this shepherd of Psalm 23? Or are you just familiar with him? I want to encourage you. You can come to know Jesus, the good shepherd, through faith. Find somebody who brought you. Come up here and talk to a pastor. Let us tell you about the good shepherd so that your soul might be saved. And as David says at the end of verse 6, all your days you will spend in the house of the Lord where the Lord of the house lives. If you do know Jesus, maybe you have become familiar with the good shepherd. Maybe he has been relegated to the back seat in your life. Maybe situations are happening you're questioning it at all. You wonder about people who have deconstructed their faith and you're wondering, should I go that route? That's a lie from Satan. Don't deconstruct your faith. Look to the cross. Dig into the word. Those things that you are struggling with and you don't understand, find somebody. You're in a dark valley. Find somebody who can help you. Find somebody who will point you to the good shepherd who laid his life down for you. Let's stand and sing.